already. So good to be here. That was one of the, the best introductions I've ever had. I mean, it was, it was amazing. And um, is this your cell phone? Yeah, it's recording me. Oh, it's recording me. Okay, is it taking a, a picture? But uh, yeah, we've been on quite a journey. We actually left Arizona on Thursday afternoon, and we've been traveling for 30 hours. And we arrived yesterday afternoon, and it's actually, it's 1.30 our time right now, in the morning, in Arizona. So if I shake, it's, it's not because I'm nervous, it's because I have, like, caffeine jitters. But actually, we are so glad to be here. And this, this past year, I joined, actually it was New Generations, which is a, a ministry that has actually started 65,000 churches in the last 10 years. And my focus is actually to come alongside vineyard churches in Africa, Central America, Mexico, and United States to help them learn a new way of starting churches, and is what we call disciple-making movements, where the focus is, first of all, we start on making disciples, and then as we make disciples with lost people, then they actually form into churches. Because see, you can have a church without disciples, but if you start with disciples, you always end up having a church. And so that's the, the focus. And I've gotten to know uh, your dad very well over the last couple of years as we've done conferences uh, throughout Africa. And he's a, a really good guy. And I, I love, he always wears these, these baggy pants. Yeah, I know, where's mine? I, I didn't know what, quite to what, ex, what to expect, okay? So I, even, I think I even wrote you and said, are you very formal here? Are you relaxed? Yeah, you should have. That would have. My wife always likes it when I'm formal, so I'm kind of in the middle today. But it's really nice to be with you, and I, I can't imagine a prettier view. I've never been in a service where you have such an incredible view. God knew what he was doing when he built this for you guys. Well, even though we grew up in Arizona... Um, actually, I'm from the northern part of the United States, and I grew up on a, a lake um, in Michigan. Um, anybody ever been to Michigan before? It's very cold in the winter, and you have, and I hope you were there in the summer, not the winter. Okay, yeah, it's really nice in the summer, and my family was really into animals. We always had animals around our house, and one particular spring day my grandfather came to our house and he brought me a duck a big female duck and I named her Madeline after our great-grandmother and I didn't know this at the time but she was pregnant and she actually went to the far end of the lake into this grassy area and laid 30 eggs so she was quite pregnant and I went over there and checked it out and I was just amazed and I was thinking boy she is way more eggs than what she could take care of. And so I brought 12 of them home, and I put them in an incubator. And after several weeks, Madeline had her ducklings, and I had my ducklings. And they immediately bonded to me. And they followed me around. I swam with them. I fed them twice every day. 
I mean, they were my, my little disciples that I, I pastored. And I had such a wonderful time in the, the, the summer with them. But as the summer began to draw to a close, one of the things that I noticed was that Madeline's ducklings began to fly a little bit. They, used, they would stretch their wings. And my ducklings, I was just so proud of them because they were much bigger than Madeline's ducklings <laughs> and so much more healthy. I was doing such a great job of taking care of my little ducklings. But eventually, her ducklings, as it got colder, they flew away and they migrated to the, the south. My little ducklings decided to stick around a little bit. And I remember one cold fall morning, I heard all this commotion out on the, the lake. And I looked out, and my little ducklings were frozen in the ice. And they're making a commotion. I know, it was very, very traumatic for me as a 10-year-old. And I remember my dad and I went out in a fishing boat, and we broke the ice, and we plucked them all out, and we made a cozy little home for them. And I ended up taking care of them all winter long. And... I share this because I liken it to pastoring a church. As uh, you mentioned, Lisa and I have been in ministry for, actually we've been married for 30 years, but we've been in ministry for 28 years. And during that time, we've been pastors uh, on staff at several very large churches. And we also started a, a church that in eight years, it grew to over a thousand people. And we're very proud of the fact that we were feeding and caring for our church people in a very significant way. They were becoming very good church people, very, very uh, mature Christians. But what began to really disturb me as I read the, the Bible is that they were not becoming disciple makers. They, they were not learning how to engage and to disciple people where they lived, worked, learned, and played. And they very, very rarely reached out to other people. And see, just like ducks are meant to migrate south, Christians are meant to, to go out among the lost and make disciples. And again, in places where they live, work, learn, and play. And today, especially in the, the West, people have come to church in order to become good Christians and to get their needs met. And they oftentimes become very dependent upon everything the church has to offer. And this is not bad at all. But oftentimes, especially in the United States, they're being imprinted by people that don't have the DNA of a, the radical New Testament Christian that we see in the, the New Testament. And see, God is on the move. He's a missional God. He's always going out. He sends his son, and then they send the Holy Spirit, and then they send the church to go out among the lost and to make disciples. And see, we find our true identity when we're on mission with God, when we become disciple makers. Now, one of the interesting things is I talked about going to uh, the vineyard in South Africa, they would mention over and over again, oh, they are really into theology. And uh, that is really good. Um, but it can sometimes get in the, the way when we, we oftentimes just focus on theology and we don't actually 
do all the things that Jesus has called us to do. Sometimes our, our knowledge um, becomes greater than our obedience at, at times. John Wimber, who was the, the founder of the vineyard, he stated it this way. He said that the meat is in the street. Have any of you heard that before? Uh, he's, he's basically kind of interpreting what Jesus said, where he said that my food, and in some translations it actually uses meat, my meat is doing the will of the, the Father. And Jesus was out among the lost. And you see, God is a God of, of mission, and he's calling us to, to join him on mission. God is on the, the move in India. There was a, a young disciple maker that really had a heart to reach the, the Bajpuri people in northern part of India. This is a large group of people, and every missionary that, that went to this group of people, they failed. And they call that area the, the graveyard of modern-day missionaries because a lot of them were often killed for trying to share their faith. But this young disciple-maker would, would go out to the outskirts of the town, and he would just pray for villages. And quite often, children would come out, and they'd never seen a, a white person before, and so they would look at him and go, ghost. And once in a while, one of the youngest would come up to him and, and touch him, and, and they would find out that he is actually real. But one particular time as he was praying for a village, outside the village, a family was there, and the father saw him and started running towards him. And he grabbed his arm, he said, you're here, you're here, you're here. And he began to drag him into town. And he heard them say, this guy, this, this man that I have dreamed about for 30 years is here to tell us about God. And so he spent that whole night and the next day basically telling them the story of God from creation all the way up through Christ. And actually a, a church was started in that village and that church began to multiply. And now today among that people group is 80,000 churches and actually 2 million people that have been baptized and it's continuing to to multiply and grow but let me just tell you make no mistake about it the the reason that this happened is because God is on the move and a disciple maker decided to join him God is also on the move in Iran Iran believe it or not has the fastest growing church in the world right now and they're using a disciple making approach and they will tell you that there's two faces to Iran there's the regime that we see on TV and then there's the people and one of the disciple makers said this what if I told you the mosques are empty inside of Iran and he continues what if I told you no one follows Islam inside of Iran would you believe me this is exactly what is happening inside of Iran. God is moving powerfully inside Iran. And yet it's a very decentralized church. It owns no property, no buildings. There's no central leadership. And it is predominantly led by trained women who are disciple makers. They go out and lead these discovery Bible studies. It's interesting that in Matthew 10, 16, it says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep 
in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as does. One of the disciple makers says this. We know that if they get us, the first thing they will do is they'll rape us and then they'll beat us and ultimately they will kill us. And then one believer said this. This is the decision that we make every time we go out. We basically offer our bodies as sacrifices. When we leave the door, we know that there's a good chance that we'll never come home. And then they add this. They say converts run away from persecution, but true disciple makers face it and count it a joy to suffer for the Lord. You see, the places where the church is growing the most, most rapidly is oftentimes where it's being persecuted the most. But it's also where people have taken upon themselves the responsibility, where everyone has taken on the responsibility to become a disciple maker. And they will tell you that they are wanting to show the West what a disciple maker of Christ actually looks like. See, God is on the move in India, and God is on the move in Iran, and God is on the move in, in various parts of Africa. In Angola, and I had the opportunity to train a team a few years ago. And they're a team of disciple makers that were reaching out to a group called the Mukabal. They're a tribe of 250,000 people that have never heard the gospel. They're what we call animists. And this is the only group that we are aware of that was reaching out to this particular people group. And we would pray for this particular group and we'd ask God, what are you doing here? And these people were very, very, very primitive. In fact, they would ask us what the dot was that went across the sky. And we had to explain to them what an airplane was. And it would just blow their minds. I remember we gave a couple of the people a ride from one village to another village. And we had to actually show them how to get into the, the car. And they listened to the radio and they were just amazed. And one of them began to yell at his friend that was out in the field, like, look at me, look at me. And he didn't realize that the, the window was up. <clears throat> but we began to, to pray. And they would tell us that one of the struggles that they were facing was that they didn't have enough water for their goats and for their, their crops. And so we began to pray. And we said, we believe that our God will send rain. And that spring, this was in 2017, they had more rain than they have ever had in many of their lives. And the, the Sobas, which are the, the chief of the villages, began to say, we want to know this God that sends rain. And so we began to disciple them. And these people began to start communities. In fact, if, Lisa, you can bring that, bring the file up here. I want to share just a picture. I can just show it to you. This is a picture of one of the churches. And they're basically just doing a discovery Bible study. And they're, they're sharing together what they have heard from God and how they're going to obey it. And who are they going to share it with? And it was just amazing. I was actually in this picture and I could just sense God's presence just like I did this morning when I was worshiping with, with you. 
But see, God is on the move. He's on the move in other parts of Africa also. A friend of mine um, has started a movement, a disciple-making movement in Cote d'Ivoire. And we just started with a group of people, and now there's over 250, um, actually 2,500 disciple-makers, and now they're forming into vineyard churches. And it's just amazing what God is, is doing as, as people begin to catch this whole idea of disciple-making. So God is on the move. He's on the move in India. He's on the move in Iran. He's on the move in, in Africa. And he's also on the move, believe it or not, in North America, where we desperately need a, a movement of God. There's a, a woman by the name of Deliah, and she came to a food pantry, and she was just so desperate, and she was in such need, and she was also in despair, and she really needed a, a touch from God to bring healing and, and meaning to her life. And she was invited to join a woman's discovery Bible study. And this met on a weekly basis. And there wasn't a, actually a, a teacher, but everyone learned to read the Bible in bite-sized portions for themselves. And they would use nine questions that would help them really discover God and get into his word. And they would hold each other accountable. And then they would also take turns every week leading this. And she experienced incredible and extraordinary healing and transformation in her life. And one particular day, Delilah asked if she could have a box of Bibles to take to the cemetery. And the reason why is because she would go to the cemetery every single morning to be with her son. Her son had died a tragic death due to drug, a drug overdose, six months earlier. And so she would go every day just to spend time mourning and being with her son at the graveside. But she also noticed that other women would come that were dealing with grief also. And she began to invite them to have a Bible study at her son's grave. And I have a picture. And I wish I had a larger picture, but you can see her. She's right here with kind of like what looks like an angel over her head. I'm not sure if that's a dove. Or what? But these women would come and they would meet with her and she would start, she started discovery Bible studies with them. And if you were to ask any of these women, they would say this has been some of the, the most meaningful thing in their lives. And out of this group, 28 groups, other groups were started and they're continuing to multiply throughout the city. I also want to tell you about this guy by the name of Raul. Raul had a heart for his friends and his neighbors, but he tried to invite them to church, but they just wouldn't have it. They, wouldn't, they didn't want to go. And so he was like, well, how do I bring the gospel to them? And so he was trained as a disciple maker, and he decided to go out to his friends. And he went to his friend Larry that said, I would love to learn more about God and I would love to study his word. And so they started to have a Bible study group in his home. Now, the only thing about Larry was that he was into pornography. And so every wall of his house had pictures of naked women. And every week when they would come, 
they would notice he had new pictures. It was like, hey, Larry, you got some new pictures this week. But they decided that they wouldn't say anything about it, but they would just continue to discover God's word together. And one particular day they came and all the pictures had been taken down. And they asked Larry, Larry, are, are you okay? <laughs> they were shocked. And Larry said, you know, I just felt God was telling me that this wasn't the right thing to do. And Larry gave his life to Christ and now is leading Discovery Bible Studies himself. He's discipling others. One of the things that we've learned is that instead of trying to convert people at the very beginning and then disciple them, is that sometimes it works far better to begin to disciple them to conversion, disciple them to a relationship with Christ. And we see that that's what Jesus did. I mean, he spent three years with these guys that didn't have a clue oftentimes. Um, and he spent three years discipling them to a relationship with himself. I'll mention just one more because, see, God is at work even in North America. There is a, a woman by the name of Karen, and she's a very busy woman. She had nine children. Anybody have nine children here? Okay. And she was quite busy because most of them um, were involved in soccer, which I know you guys call football, right? No? Soccer? I'm glad you guys got that straight, because most of the world, they have not gotten that straight. But she was busy. But she, one day, decided that she wanted to be a disciple maker. And she read about what was happening in other places of the world. There's a, a great book, if you want to write it down. It's called Miraculous Movements, that was written by a friend of mine called Jerry Trousdale, where he tells about these movements of what God is doing. The average size is like 750 um, actually, the, the average size, yeah, is 750 people. And they're moving all over um, different parts of the world. But this particular woman decided to do disciple making, and she asked her pastor, and he said, just go for it. And so today, she has different, like 19 groups that have been started. And she started a couple, and they begin to, to multiply because there's just so easily reproduced. And so what we have here is disciples that are making disciples that are making disciples. And she, again, she's a very busy, busy person. And so you see, God is, is on the move. He's a missional God. He's on the move in, in India. He's on the move in Iran. He's on the, the move in, in Africa. He's on the move in North America. And I believe that God is also on the move in South Africa. He's, he's on the move here. And he, and he states it this way. He says in Matthew 28, he says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I want to ask you, what stood out to you 
as I read that passage that is very maybe um, familiar to most of you, I believe. What, what stood out to you in that passage? Anything in particular? I'm with you until the very end of the age. He's not going to leave us. He's with us. He's, we're partnering with him. Awesome. Um, teach them everything that I've told them. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's amazing, you know. That's, that's a lot of work, isn't it? Anything else that really stood out to you as I read that passage? I want to make a, a couple observations. I believe that today God is calling us to a different kind of disciple-making. It's called obedience-based disciple-making. Not knowledge-based disciple-making, but obedience-based disciple-making. Now, we're fairly accustomed to call Jesus our Savior, and we're fairly accustomed to to call Him uh, Christ, but oftentimes we don't think of Him as being King, King Jesus. And I know that in in North America, we're not accustomed to kings. Um, Actually, we we fought a battle 250 years ago to make sure we didn't have a king, okay? Um, We escaped kingship. Um, So we have democracies where we can vote on what we want to do and what we don't want to do, right? But Jesus has come as king. And when we submit to him, we experience... The, the peace and the joy and the, the power to do ministry. But he says, teaching them to obey. We're not just teaching them everything that he uh, wants us to know, but he says, teach them to obey. And when God gives us a command to do something, we oftentimes think of it as an, an option, at least in the, the States. And there's a game that we used to play as kids called Simon Says. Do you play Simon Says? And when Simon says to do something, what do you do? You, you do it, right? If he says to touch your head, you touch your head. If Simon says touch your, your nose, you touch your toes, right? If Simon says to stand on your head, you stand on your head, okay? But in the church, we tend to think it's a little different. Because if Jesus says to do something, then we tend to think of it as an option. Right? It's kind of optional. Or we tend to think, well, I'll do it in my my heart. If Jesus tells me to love my neighbor, then I'll do it in my heart. Or if Jesus tells me to, to flap my wings, you know, I'll flap my wings in my heart. Right? But I'm not actually going to do anything. I'll I'll just study about it. I'll start a small group and I'll do a study on what Jesus is telling me to do. See, when Jesus tells us to do something, all we have to do is study it and all we have to do is memorize it. I have actually three children, which we mentioned, and our, our youngest was not the tidiest when she was at our home. In fact, her room was a disaster. And we would regularly tell her, Joelle, you need to go clean your room. I mean, it was just really bad. And what's funny is that we go to her house now, and her house is just so meticulous. Everything's perfect. It's like, take off your shoes when you come in. 
And yet when she was at our house, it was like a, a mess. And oftentimes we would say, Joelle, go clean your room. Now, what would happen if she said, well, Dad, I'm going to go to the library and I'm going to study and get all the books I can on how to clean my room. Or I'm going to start a study group. We're going to go out for coffee. and Once a week, we're going to study how to clean rooms. I mean, that would be pretty ridiculous, right? But that's kind of the, the way we oftentimes approach Jesus when he asks us to do something. Well, I'll just study about it or I'll learn about it. Um, I have a friend that did a survey some time ago where he interviewed 150 people that attended church every Sunday morning. And he asked them, what is the, the mission of the church? And only three of the 150 said it was to make disciples. And I would take it even a step farther. Our real goal is to make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. We're looking for multiplicative disciples because that's what, what Jesus has called us to. And I would go even a step further that the church's mission is to make disciples, but every one of our missions is to become disciple makers, to, to make disciples in places where we, we live, where we work, where we learn, and also where we play. So I, I beg you, if God is telling you to, to do something, I, I, I beg you, even though it may be a little scary and a little frightening or uncomfortable, I beg you to do it. Because as you mentioned, God will always be with us, right? Especially when we're joining him on mission. But I want to draw your attention to another part of this passage. And this is maybe my favorite part. It says that, that some doubted. It says that when they saw him, they worshipped him, but, but some doubted. Now, I've never heard a, a sermon on that verse before. Have you ever given a sermon on some doubted? You did? Oh, wow. Give me five. <laughs> You're just teasing me. Okay. <clears throat> See, but that's what I, I love about, about God. He, shouldn't, he didn't say doubters. You know, step aside. I only want to talk to the, the faithful. Instead, he, he lumped them all together and he gave them one of the, the greatest commandments known to man. And see, I, I believe that there may be some of you today that have some doubts. Maybe you think that I've done so many things in the past, I'm not ready to be a disciple maker, or God could never use me, or maybe I'm too young in the Lord, or maybe I'm getting too old, which is probably not the case with this particular church because many of you are very young. Or some of you are saying, you know, I just don't have time to be a disciple maker. I don't have time to make this a, a priority. But let me tell you that Jesus' way throughout history is to use ordinary people, even doubters, to advance his kingdom by making disciples. Back in our, our home church, there's this young woman that Lissa, my wife, has counseled for probably the last two years. Extremely broken person. She was physically abused, sexually abused, verbally abused. 
And so there's been a lot of healing and restoration that has had to take place in our life. And sometimes it's, you know, one step backwards before we can take a step forward. And Lissa is constantly, you know, texting her and encouraging her and walking with her. And we began to, at the same time she was experiencing healing, we began to train her in disciple making. And she got really excited about it. See, she would have never been chosen for a leadership position in our, our church. Most people would say she's, she's too messed up. She's too broken. She's too hurting. They would have never chosen her for a leadership position. But she got this idea that I could have my ministry outside the church. And so she began to reach out to the various teachers in the school system where she worked. And she began discipling over 30 other women using Discovery Bible Studies. And they were just blown away by just the, the revelation and how they could hear from God and how He would begin to transform their lives. I mean, when I actually told some of our other leaders what Amber, her name was Amber, what she was doing, they were just like, no way, this can't be true. You see, God uses ordinary people, and some of those people are, to be honest with you, they're the best disciple makers. Just ordinary people or people that you would have never imagined and so, you see, Jesus is, he's inviting you and he's inviting me to one of the, the greatest adventures known to man. He's saying, I, I'm on the move. I'm always moving outward. I'm always on a mission. And the, the question is, is, will you join me in this, this mission? And there's no option. Will you, will you join me in bringing healing and transformation through to the world by becoming a disciple maker. And that's my, my message to you today is God is on the move and, and will you join him in what he's, what he's doing? I would like us to, to maybe spend some time just thinking about this. And, and I want you to ask the Lord, what is it that you're calling me to do? What is it the Lord inviting you to do this morning? And so I would like to maybe just have like three or four minutes um, and we could have the band come up here and just have some just light music. And before we actually do that, I'm going to have my wife share something. She had a, a word that she wanted to, to share with you. Good morning, everyone. It's nice to be here. Um, as we were worshiping this morning, I felt like the Lord just impressed upon me just how beautiful you all are, and just um, your, your love for the Lord and just his presence here, um, it was just something um, that I was struck with, that it, it's just a beautiful presence, a beautiful body that he has created, that he has drawn together, and um, with that, I felt like the Lord also impressed upon me that as a body... Um, he gave me a picture of an embryo. And an embryo is, um, you know, obviously a, a small child um, being formed in its mother's womb. And I felt like the Lord was saying to me that, um, that this place, this body of believers that he has called here uh, is, in, is in an embryonic state. That it's a place where... Um, He's saying that your nourishment comes as you gather here, that you're fed here, um, that you're nourished here, that you've been growing here. 
And just like all children, even embryos, grow. And then um, they eventually become infants and toddlers. Um, and our job as parents is to encourage those children to become independent, to go out. And I felt like the Lord was saying that he was growing this body and that he was calling you also to be going out. Um, that this was a very good place and it was very beautiful to come here and that you were growing here. But that he was saying that, that you have been growing and that it's time for you to be going out. And just like David has been talking about, to um, be taking the gospel, to share with others, to be doing the works that Jesus did, where you live, where you work, where you play. And that um, this is the time to be doing that, that he has been growing you and that he has been nourishing you, but that it's time to start stepping out and knowing that he's given you and that he's equipped you with all that you need. All you need to do is begin to take those first steps. I know we're just a, a tad over in time, but I want to just take a moment and I want you to ask the Lord, what are, what are you inviting me to do? And just allow the, the, the Lord to speak to you. And we're just going to reflect upon that question. Um, you know, in light of this message, what is God calling me to do? And we're going to reflect on that for just a few minutes and then we'll um, do something else. How many of you have something that the Lord has put on your heart to do? Would you like to, to share? I'm going to have a couple of people share. Somebody else who's already doing it, or whatever that looks like, but that's 
that simple step that he will move in big ways through that simple obedience. Sharon, anyone else would like to share? I would run to you, but I wouldn't get very far. But that's interesting because the, the, we call them pipsies, the poor international prisoners and sick are all mentioned in Matthew 25. Those are Jesus's priority. And oftentimes they're the most open to the gospel. Thank you. Um, morning. So uh, for a while now, um, Gabs and I would always have conversations um, on the patio and I would always be like I really think that I need to go out and tell people about Jesus and she's like like, it's a, it sounds crazy and like, I'm like I, know, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing um, so it's been something that's really been moving in me because like you were saying like I spend, I'm one of those people that likes to like really delve and that's how I got here is that I looked into a lot of things like I looked into Gnosticism and everything else but Jesus, because he was like, no, 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 just go, come on, just turn away from that. Um, eventually, uh, the, the truth is the truth. Do you know what I mean? You can't resist it. Um, it'll come knocking on your door and you'll be like, ah, oh, that's not what I wanted. But it's the truth. Do you know what I mean? And um, it's exactly what you were saying, just about there are people out there, whether they're financially poor or they're poor just inside, um, we've got to go out. And I've just been trying to think of like strategies. Like, what do I do? Do I go out? Like, do I take them something? Like, hey, here's some bread can I, um, can I talk to you about Jesus do you know what I mean because um, we've had those attempts with my mate and I and it's like you can feel that there's something like trying to oppress you because you know that you're doing something that that side doesn't want you to be doing and um, yeah it's been a real hectic thing to, to go out there and I'm really glad that you you you've spoken and thanks to everyone here for doing what you do like it's a very big deal um, stepping out um, into that life because it's exposure. Do you know what I mean? It says in Ephesians five eleven that we should expose the works of darkness and nothing can exist in the light. And um, yeah, I just spend a lot of time researching things rather than doing things. Yeah. And it's that whole idea of looking into the mirror but then forgetting what you look like. Yeah. And you rather, you know, rather do it. So I'm glad that you're here and everyone's here because we can actually learn about this. Yes. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you for sharing. Real quick, I want you to just turn to the person next to you. God, put something on your heart. Tell them what it is real quick in 30 seconds. What is it that you're going to do? What are you going to do? All right. If you can't think of anything, let me just give you some suggestions. One is to begin to pray for your neighbors or people at work. Just begin to intercede for them. Another thing would be to maybe fast a meal a week and just say, I'm going to commit this, this, this time of fasting to pray for people that I know that are far from Christ. And um, I want to encourage you, if you could, could stand at this time. I know I didn't give you much time, but we want to pray for our, your city. And it's so incredible that we can reach our hands out and we can all pray for the city right now and we can see so far. And what I want you to do is pray that God's kingdom would come, that all of Cape Town, all of South Africa would look even more like heaven. I know it looks like heaven to us already, 
but it would look more like heaven than it would hell. That God would break the strongholds. And so, let's all pray right now for your city. If we could just all pray at the same time. Just reach out your hand if you feel comfortable. Just Father, we just ask God that you would bring healing and wholeness, Lord. That you restore lives, God. You draw people to yourself, God. Father, I pray, God, that you would just move, Lord, in extraordinary ways, God, that people would have a desire for you. We break um, off the division, Lord, and, and the different um, areas, Lord, where there's so much hatred and even violence, Lord. We just ask, God, that you would just rid this city, Lord, from, from all of those things, God. We pray that you bring hope, Lord. That you bring your kingdom, Lord. That you raise up disciple makers, Lord. To reach into various neighborhoods and communities, Lord. In places, Father, where, where it's dark, God. Just come, Lord Jesus. Just come, Lord Jesus. And Father, I just thank you for this group of um, believers here in this room, Lord, in this church. And Father, I ask right now, Lord, that you would deposit in each of them, Lord, all that they need, Father, not only to know you and love you, Lord, but to follow after you and to share you, Father. Lord, I thank you that you have called each of us, Lord, um, as a light on a hill, Father God. And Lord, I ask right now that you would just um, infuse, Lord, um, just courage, Lord, uh, boldness, Father, just um, an igniting, Lord, of your spirit, Lord God, Father, to see all that is around each of them, Lord God, as they go about uh, their daily lives, Father. And Lord, I pray that their uh, hearts would be open, their eyes would be open, Lord, to see divine appointments, Lord, that you're placing in front of them, Lord, uh, that they would take uh, the little steps, Father, um, and just realize that it's uh, just the little steps that all that need to be taken, Father. So, Lord, uh, thank you for this body, Lord. Bless them, Lord. Father, encourage them. Lord, let them come together and share that they have seen your hand at work, Lord. And, Father, that they have seen the moving of your spirit, um, not only within them, Lord, but through them uh, as they reach out to others, Father. And I just thank you for that, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let it be a fire that spreads, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Bless, bless you, Father. Thank you. I just want to thank you again for, for having us, Caleb. And I'm going to turn it over to you, but I have one question I want to ask you. How many of you in this room are full-time missionaries? All of you are full-time missionaries. All of you are full-time missionaries. Amen? Amen. So. Amen. Sorry for the tear last year. We took a long one on Sunday. But there's a few of you outside on the street. And I'm off. We put on, we blocked on the main road. For you. To enjoy. And there's some really cool dancing going on over there. Very nice. So I encourage you to go and join over 
streets. Thanks for coming and we'll love you all today. Thanks, girls. Yeah.